Welcome, one and all, to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the big round white room is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Rebels unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for Andor episode nine. Nobody's listening. Pete, I heard the exclamation point at the end of that title there. Well done. Certainly uh, eager to dive into the episode. Do want to mention first, though, tomorrow we'll be doing our Lower Deck Season 3 wrap podcast as we, Pete, I can't believe I'm going to say it, put a pause on podcasting Star Trek until the second half of February. Yeah, we had a slight little break uh, right after live action finished for 2022 what with strange new worlds back in july but then picked it right up at the end of august with lower decks yes star trek prodigy on now um and we will talk about it at some point but we don't do it week to week um also going to be bringing our patrons to patreon.com our star wars tales of the jedi thoughts on those six shorts and pete i will say publicly here that i'm glad you pushed for us to have that discussion uh yes it'll be on patreon but i'm glad that you could be let me be completely honest pete i'm not always leaning 110 percent into star wars or star trek animation and i was beyond pleasantly surprised at how wonderful tales of the jedi was uh both the shorts as each short and then as a as a six episode season arc twisting turning and so forth so that's a discussion i'm really really looking forward to have it's what i do also what i do matt alert alert you of the andor season two directors yes they will start filming later this month uh some people uh new to star wars at least new to my eyes uh, coming for season two to direct ariel kleinman janus metz or maybe it's janus metz either way pete I look forward to, you know, meet the Mets uh, and then Alonzo Ruiz Palacios. Uh, interesting that there appear to be no um, returning directors, uh, but I think that's, I mean, perhaps A, a product of busy schedules and B, kind of what these big properties do, which is keep things moving and keep maybe nobody too precious and keep getting new perspectives and all that. Kleinman uh, has broken out here with his work on the first season of Yellow Jackets. He's going to take over the role that Toby Haynes, who directed this episode as well, has had in season one, directing six episodes split into two pods of three, okay, with Metz and uh, Ruiz Palacios, who did quite a bit of work with Narcos Mexico. Uh, and Diego Luna. So you got that. Plug in. You should be able to interpret the entire Imperial network. Let's take a closer look at the data tapes smuggled out about this episode. Lieutenant Dedra Miro cracks her neck before she admits she doesn't like wasting time to Bix Colleen. So she'll tell her everything she knows and try to convince her to cooperate without intervention from Dr. Gorst, who's developed a unique system some in the Empire are very excited about. 
Miro recaps. They brought in Salman Pak last night after they tracked him to a radio hidden in his yard. Um, and he was remarkably resistant with the little rebel activity to his resume, which makes Miro think there's even more to be learned. And then it was morning, and there they were, wasting time. Given that Denise Goff had said about the prior episode that uh, her scenes on Ferrix were her first scenes shot, I would infer that these Ferrix scenes in this episode uh, similarly were towards the beginning of her shoot. It makes what we see all the more impressive, not just with the 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 I don't know fine tuned savagery that Dedra Miro has, but also some of the the, the fancy camera work uh, early on in the scene. We have a long shot that uh, moves to a close up of Dedra, then a, a medium shot to a close up of Bix, things like that. Where again, if it's earlier in the shoot, you know, one could say, "Hey, let's not do fancy stuff and fall behind," but instead. You know, real care taken here. Heck, Pete, maybe they knew it's early in the filming, but it's late in the uh, in the actual season, so make sure it's interesting and so forth. Uh, we find out some some back history here about Pac, along with some inferences to be made that he had met a woman who suggested that he could help uh, the help the cause by having a fractal radio unit, just kind of being the host of it. Uh, this woman, who I think we are generally assuming is Vel, um, uh, the, the woman who wanted to use Ferrix not necessarily as a place to foster, you know, more democracy and you know anti-imperial views and whatnot, but rather as a as a base to get stolen imperial equipment, given its unique placement. I'm assuming that's both geographic as well as the the old ship breaking down yards. Uh, we also get, Pete, a really interesting detail, uh, one that I think we could do without, but one that really ties up the whole net here, to use uh, to use Dedra's metaphor here, that Bix was the only one to be using the radio. So again, kind of guilty, guilty hands and so forth as this uh, interrogation unfolds. Yes, Pac having attended this separatist meeting two years ago in Jondera, meeting that woman, bringing that fractal radio unit back that Bix was the only one to use. Uh, the buyer, also known as Axis by uh, Miro here, although she doesn't disclose that other nickname, uh, only met Pac once um, before Bix met him. Uh, and Bix had no history of political troublemaking. Um, Bix at this point identifies Miro as ISB, the worst of the worst. And Miro wants to know everything that Bix knows about the buyer, Cassian Andor, and their relationship, as well as a detailed accounting of every piece of stolen equipment she passed along, where it came from, who was bribed, and where it went. Bix claims she does not know the buyer, but Pac told uh, Miro, they had at least six face-to-face -face meetings after sitting on the radio for hours at a time. Bix explains she signals, and sometimes he answers, visits, buys, and leaves. Miro asks when was the last time she spoke to Andor, uh, and she does not respond. And, you know, this is just such a great acting and 
scripted moment that comes across in the acting in terms of, all right, now it's personal. You know, she was sharing info before, but this is not where she's going to go. And Miro explains the worst thing that Bix can do is bore her. And also, too, you speak of the acting. Miro becomes less and less charming uh, at this last half, last third of the scene uh, with Denise Goff probably consciously pushing this disdain through her face to up the character's malice and evil. Um, I, I mention it because it's got to be male and female alike, perhaps more so for female actors. I don't know, but it's got to be it got to be an interesting discussion to have with yourself in the mirror. Like I'm going to make myself look less um, attractive on camera to show, you know, to show the evil, to show the malice and so forth that's coming up. Um, but boy, is it effective here. Um, but uh, also the notion that uh, Bix does not want to be boring or perhaps her story won't be boring, but uh, Bix wonders, uh, surely Dedra won't believe what uh, she is told anyway which is also true and also gets a bit of a sadistic smile as things are handed off to Dr. Gorst, who I believe Pete is uh, in the history of Star Wars, only the second named doctor. You're referring of course to Dr. Pershing on the Mandalorian in the Narcina five prison factory table five sizes up table three in an effort to take the shift old time, short timer Olaf is having a problem with his right hand. Keef, that's our Cassian Andor undercover name for this part of the season, uh, switches and Kino Loy inquires about the rebalancing of the table here. Olaf is down to just 42 shifts. The next man out. Kino asks if the wise swap was Keef's idea, but he credits Taga. Keith asks about table three getting a new man, and Kino avoids the question. I think the purpose of this scene, in addition to give a starting point for the deterioration of Olaf, is uh, for Kino uh, to be kind of reestablished uh, in our minds as you know the the boss of the scene. Uh, there being, of course, the just absolutely heartbreaking and delicious kino arc that this uh that this episode explores but we head back to bix uh who is being restrained uh but the uh the good doctor here just so uh, yeah again i've said it before the show pete you know there are no small parts only small actors uh gorst not the focus of this show by any stretch of the imagination i don't think he's going to be on our theory list for will he turn to the rebellion will he be a major character in season two and things of that sort but there's just such a pleasant like you know his initial introduction kind of like the high wave uh you know here he is just doing some really interesting work by his own figuring here um the the process is not physically dangerous he gives this you know lovely delivered of course also deeply troubling monologue about the species on Dizon Frey, and uh, of course, it is uh, a, a a familiar story of imperial uh, actions, empire overreach, and so forth. Uh, the big takeaway here that their their sounds, their cries, uh, can burn into one's brain, and uh, the the good doctor, or rather bad doctor, has it uh, has it ready to go and has it perfected 
to serve as a torture slash uh, information extraction device. Just the chilling process through which they acquired this recording that they've now layered and adjusted to use in interrogations that the species on Dizon Frey was extremely hostile, what do you know, to a uh, Imperial refueling center that was being planned. The local commanders were granted permission to use any means necessary to put them down. And, and recorded of mission. Uh, this sound, which is only described for us, uh, but we're going to talk about that in theories, Matt. Um, as they die, a sort of choral, agonized pleading, unlike anything anyone had heard. Three communication officers monitoring it were found hours later huddled together in various states of emotional distress in a crawl space beneath the ship's bridge, we can only imagine this is like a Star Destroyer or something that this happened on, making it even more, you know, crazy. They've taken these recordings and they use them now, okay, uh, particularly a section of what they believe are primarily children, which has its own particular effect. And as he opens this case here to remove the headset, tells her it won't take long and uh, it won't feel that way to her that it doesn't take long all she has to do is let him know when she's ready to talk if she can't because she probably won't be able to she could just shake her head yeah it's just such a powerfully delivered scene and such a you know it's it's evil upon evil here um and of course the the shaking of the head you know that way we know for sure that you want to help uh and Dejramiro kind of re-entering the scene here you know really make sure you shake that head so it's clear that you're ready to help uh and again the camera work uh dually interesting first it moves from a, a mid shot to a close-up as the headphones are put on then the camera kind of moves into the line of sight for Bix so now she's looking at the camera at us and screams and Pete did you catch that then the next shot is taken from outside Miro closing the door and the camera kind of dipping down as a as a soldier walks on by Pete that's a visual quote from the first Star Wars movie yes. when they're uh, getting ready to torture Princess Leia you see Pete it's the same notion of torturing uh mostly innocent people although i guess both are also involved with the rebellion so there's a certain subjective evil going on here but we know that they're actually our heroes maybe director tony haynes doesn't hate star wars as much as tony gilroy does we go back to the prison where uh andor from the work floor there sees a guard walk by the, the second story window uh he then says he's taking his run which had me wondering, what is a run? Um, his purposeful, but not uh, you know, running for the escape kind of walk is noticed by other inmates. Uh, an example, Pete, of the show, trusting that we can figure out what's about to be told to us without a scene where he says, hey, I'm going to go continue our you know, breakout plan and, and cut the thing. Like, we can just see it. It's Pete 
we've gone from tisk tisk Tony Gilroy to hooray Tony Gilroy, trusting the audience to put things together when you see them without needing dialogue to explain it to the dullards. Um, but what is a run, Pete? It's a run to what the descriptive audio describes as a water closet or a toilet. Um, Just the second toilet ever glimpsed in Star Wars history, both of them on TV on Disney+. Plus. There you go. Um, he kind of jimmies down a section of paneling. There's a uh, uh, an improvised shiv or an improvised saw where he's starting to saw on... Uh, again, with the descriptive audio calls a water pipe. I don't know if that's actually going to become an important notion. Like, oh, look, there's a leak or uh, whatever it might be. But the song interrupted by uh, the, I think, automated announcement for the workers to get on position uh, as there's a new man coming in. So there's kind of the hurried, uh, put the panel back in place, bang, 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 to make it look obviously out of place, too. You kind of go, oh, yeah, I could see how they overlook that. Uh, and we find out that a new man is coming in. Now Andor having stepped back onto the work floor, he's not at his table, which gives him an opportunity to whisper with another inmate about uh, the, the particulars of how new people are brought in, using the platform lift, how it appears not to be electrified, uh, what they might do if they were going to make their move at this moment, or rather a hypothetical future moment that would be, look like things right now. In the next episode, yes, this other inmate who watched him go to, I've seen before in Star Wars, they call the bathroom the refresher or fresher. Um, that, uh, hey, does Keith believe him now? Uh, the the guard is not, the guards are not wearing boots. The inmates hit with a zap rod. Uh, the elevator rail is not wired. Um, so nothing that moves can fry them. Keith has a new idea. They're not going to wait. They attack as they're coming down. They make the lift stop halfway, take one guard and a weapon. And then Kino gives his spiel as the guard leaves. Also, Pete, I believe confirmation uh, from uh, a major story point we had discussed in episodes past. It looks like it's a, a real lift, really going from a real second story to a real first story. Ah, gone are the days when when some guy would do everything in blue screen. Also, hope George Lucas can return to save Star Wars from all the blue screen guy. Wait, he was the blue screen guy. Anyhow, Pete, <laughs> uh, it's a real lift. Back to the story uh, of Bix here. We see that she is emotionally spent, physically haggard, and so forth. She's asked about the last time uh, that she was uh, with Andor. But Pete, in an episode that does a lot of, not quite cross-cutting, but we don't we don't linger at any one point. Back to the prison we go. Olaf still slowing down, a bit forgetful about, wait, we just discussed two minutes ago about how we can speed up, win the day. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, speed up, win the day, and so forth. Uh, and Andor is watching all of this with great care. Yeah, um, having relieved Olaf, uh, who does not seem to quite know about their status up a rack with an hour left, even though they just said it two minutes ago. So, you know, one of the things this episode does so well is establish, you know, passage of time and how things are going on. We go from there 
to Miro finishing up. She has her coat on and her hat, uh, and she's leaving as Bix is removed from the chair to a mattress nearby. She orders Bix kept there and alive. A hostage? No, a witness. The only one who can ID Axis. Captain Tygo is there, and he wants to hang what's left of Salmon Pock, which Miro okays. She doesn't even really care. And uh, they put Bix over on that mattress on the floor. We now cut to Mon Mafma giving a speech about Empire Overreach. This, of course, in the, the hallowed grounds of the Senate, uh, a, a hallowed ground that we know is, uh, of course, does not have much time left on the old Star Wars timeline. Uh, Pete, I would say, you know, once upon a time, you one would expect to give a speech where they're not booed and uh, so forth. But uh, I, I guess that's all the rage, both sides of the pond nowadays. Uh, the lights are turned off. Again, you could say, you could have a speech uh, from a character saying, when people turn the lights off, it means something in terms of parliamentary procedure. Instead, it's just the echoes of booze that are slowly increasing as she gives this speech. Lights being turned off uh, by the other senator discs and so forth. This temple of democracy is indeed crumbling uh, and a hard cut to uh, her having just entered the limo um, the driver, Pete, who has a name, okay, notes that Mon's cousin has arrived. You can see by the shock in her face. Wait, you know, at home, at the embassy? Yes, my cousin is there, leading us to say, ooh, I can't wait to see who the cousin is. But Pete, take us back to the prison. On the bridge between the factory floor and the cell block, Taga runs hand signals. Melchi says they could keep them there forever if they wanted to. Mm. Kino tells him that's enough. Keith feels that something's wrong. Jembok says they're taking their time about transferring them here. Keith asks Taga what they're saying. Something about level two. Olaf is looking, or at least starting to look worse here. Uh, Kino tells them all to be quiet, and then the power flickers. Uh, Kino says it's nothing, someone didn't load in, and they're counting. But cutting the power? And then an alarm blares. Taga says something is wrong on two, they're going too fast, and he can't read it. Something's really wrong on two. And Kino calls him out on this. He says he hasn't got a clue what they're saying it takes a week for one word to get all the way up there and he's panicking about something happening on the other side of the building the announcer tells them to get on program a new message here that immediate facility compliance or floors will be activated without warning they gave a warning uh bridges on program will have their doors open and all shifts will report immediately to their stations. Back to Mon's home we go. Uh, The cousin is Auntie Vel, there with a gift for Lita, a new outfit here. Uh, Lita's going to step away to go uh, try that on. And there's whispers between Vel and Mon about uh, her six months away traveling. Wink, wink. Then we get a little less wink, wink. The Empire does not rest, so neither do we, says Vel. 
Uh, there's the talk of he, a reminder that uh, Luthen is the kind of common uh, common agitator between the two of them, but Vel, the perfect rebel here. He who. Uh, there's all sorts of whispers in the dark, not literal dark, but the emotional dark, uh, as these two ladies are uh, brought together in the story for the first time. One conversation here between Mon Mothma and Vel, who we establish at the cousin, didn't see that one coming, although Mon Mothma, Vel, Sartha, kind of similar. Um, you know, just the way we load out information we know and then, you know, what can be said here uh, at, at some points, you know, a little bit more secure than others. Just the way, too, Lita kind of gravitates towards Auntie Vel um, and uh, that the, the dress here, oh, well, maybe your father won't let you wear it. Well, dad lets me do anything I want. Um, so further characterization there on Lita. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Vel, once they're alone, really kind of echoing one, the conversation she's had with Andor and two, the ones that she's had with Cinta. We go back to the prison, uh, specifically to the cell block area where the red lights are on. So, you know, no touchy the floor. Andor is asking Kino about the guard count on each floor and other uh, particulars. Kino won't talk. Uh, among other things, he's concerned that they might be overheard. Andor scoffs. Uh, of course, they're not listening. They don't care to listen. We are nothing to them. Cheaper than droids and easier to replace I must confess, Pete, there was a slight moment there where I was like, huh, um, I never thought of it that way. But of course, they're true. I mean, A, it's a truth that the story needs. Otherwise, you'd just be like, ah, the droids make all the things. Um, but now that it's been said out loud, it's like, oh, yes, that is the benefit of uh, human labor in the Star Wars universe. And let's not stop to think about where all our electronics come from, because it's probably a somewhat similar situation sometimes, regardless Andor bringing it home again. How many guards on each level? He's not going to hear it from Kino, who was done eating. He puts his spoon, he puts his plate back in the wall. Uh, he essentially says, good night, sir, and rolls over his back to Andor. Conversation over. Uh, and up above, Melshi watching uh, as Andor repeats, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. At the ISB headquarters here. You could just call it ISB HQ if you want. It looks very <laughs> impressive on, on the page. Um, Major Partagas asks Miro uh, about taking Gorst because he's glad to hear that that's all working out the sadistic uh, recording torture that they do. Um, this thorough interrogation that they have no reason to believe that Bix Colleen here over pronounced by uh, Denise Goff so wonderfully um, did not uh, withhold anything. But no ID on Axis. He's still just the buyer. Miro notes it is disappointing, but it suggests the scope of what he's doing. A very disciplined operation, large enough 
not to be reliant on any one network or supplier. Um, Bix gave them a list of every piece of gear to come through Ferrix, and they think they already have a match on a targeting unit recovered from a safe house operated by a rebel cell associated with Maya Pei, mentioned in the previous episode. Um, and Andor is all the way through this, and that's what Miro wants to highlight. Partigas recaps just for the uh, people there. Oh, oh, he's your uh, your thief, your runaway murderer, right? Um, and he returned to Ferrix three nights after Aldani with dough in his pockets. So wait a minute. Uh, Supervisor Miro, you're trying to connect this to Aldani like we, the audience, know? Uh, he notes, Spartagaz does, it's a bit of a stretch. It's at this point that Miro's assistant, Hirt, uh, pipes up. Um, the first of two moments in this episode where he really kind of steps forward that we're definitely going to talk about in theories that uh, Andor was clean-shaven. The rebels at Aldani were clean-shaven because it's <laughs> razors and shaving are such a big thing, apparently, but two soldiers got a look at him and felt there was some similarity to their reference picture in which he is clean-shaven. So Partagas says this is worth running down, especially since an Aldani connection would amplify interests. So follow that up. Uh, Supervisor Legret asks about um, not questioning the mother, almost like he's trying to burst a bubble here. But Miro uh, explains they decided to wait to leave her in place and stand back. She's too old and frail for anything. Um, the immediate association of course is torture but we also know that marva has talked about some actual rebellious activity on her own and we'll talk about that in theories as well yes definitely a moment particularly as we're understanding how the show works uh episode after episode uh, to declare marva incapable of action is i suspect an indicator of uh marva taking action in she's going episodes. in these tunnels man oh absolutely uh, we go back to the prison where there's a shift change again. Rumors now flying. Uh, the men uh, speaking to each other as they pass on by. The notion that Unit 2-5 uh, was fried out. A hundred men. That's when I was like, oh, right. It's 75. Or pardon me. It's 49 workers per room with the boss. That's 50 times 2. That's 100. The math checks out. But anyhow, the notion that all 100 from 2-5 were fried and are, are all dead. How has this information been shared? Uh, a tech from down that way came up, spread the word. The whole sky bridge was fried. So again, this uh, bridge area that we've seen before this episode, but that we spend more time in this episode, the notion that that's, among other things, while it's kind of weird that they all stop there um, and to my mind, there's been some kind of like logistically, why do they all need to stop? It seems inefficient and so forth. Oh, it's actually, I would argue a built in prison efficiency that if you need to deal with everybody at once, you have them paused there and so forth. Regardless, tensions are increasing. Uh, Kino ready to 
throw down to calm people. Uh, but it's Andor that calms Kino. Uh, the less they think we know, the better it is. Uh, and here, Pete, I would like to propose uh, the Andy Circus Emmy nomination clip <laughs> when the nomination happens, not if, but when. Circus speaking calmly to the crew. Everybody, it's just a rumor, back to work and so forth. But his face, uh, a mask of doubt, pain, and claustrophobia before the uh, the two shifts start moving to their respective locations. Mom Edie Karn finds son Cyril up early at breakfast. He was home late. He's been getting up early. He's dressed and groomed. He's trimmed his hair. Is there something she should know? Um, he told her not to leave dinner out last night, but his message was so brief. So busy these days. Perhaps he's forgetting to eat. She's been searching his room again, Cyril says. It's called cleaning, Mom says. She likes a tidy house. But he says she's been in his private box. He has ways of knowing. But she found him a job, presses his uniform, prepares two meals a day. She's moved mountains to scrape him off the floor and put him back on his feet. And what has she reaped? What is the return on that investment? Uh, but wait, he points out, they were talking about her snooping on him. She calls him a shadow of a son, a tenant, a stranger. Uh, he says that's new. He wants to remember that. Um, and she points out that all the time away on Morlana, what if uh, she let his neglect to drive her insane months ago. He could easily ignore her. And I love at this moment, Matt, where he picks up the bowl and just slurps loudly. Oh, I mean, it's a fabulous scene. I think that uh, we don't fully understand where this storyline is going, although doubtless we have some theories which we'll discuss. But um, what I'm trying to say is this. Within the episode without knowledge of what what this scene is doing for, for future payoff, could you make an argument that it's superfluous? Okay, within the narrative just contained in this episode, yes. But this scene, and indeed all the scenes with Edie and Cyril, they're just so, I don't know, delivered with, with you know, smiles and vitriol and tension it, that is masked by fake love. And there's just so much to it. Um, and it just functions so well as, as breakout little scenes. It's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely fantastic to have these scenes, uh, again, almost regardless of what story purposes they have. Um, we move briefly back to the prison, uh, to see again, that Olaf is really fading, getting more confused, uh, more trouble for the table and so forth. Uh, then we head from that table to, uh, Mon's family dinner table. Perrin sneering that Vel is not married. The old thing, Pete, you know, I, I don't know the actress's age off the top of my head. I think she's early 30s, which, you know, by by Chandron standards, just really, really old and crusty. And, you know, only uh, only a widower would, would, would want to marry her and, and things of that sort. Uh, and speaking of relationships, the idea of Tay Colma being an old boyfriend is floated by Lita. Wait, did did Perrin suggest that? And Perrin says... Uh, the emphasis here is how old he is. Um, 
And ultimately, Pete, we quickly cut to Vel leaving. Yeah, a couple of sparks, though, out of Genevieve O'Reilly in this scene are, are great when Vel says, oh, yeah, all the all the good men are taken. Well, she doesn't say men. She said good ones. Vel, I'm sorry, um, Mon Mothma, of course, you know, aware of her situation. Um, and then that, uh, you know, no one calls Vel tedious, which, of course, allows O'Reilly to flash that knowing grin again. Later, as they're walking out, um, Vel asks about Tay, and it's all about money. Is that all it is? But Mon Mothma says she doesn't have enough to worry about. Um, love in this atrium set or the atrium portion of this set here. We've got the big chandelier and what we can see for the first time looks like uh, chandrillon flags on both sides. Um, is there anything Val can do? And Mon Mothma says to be a spoiled rich girl for a while. So what Cinta was talking about before was the genuine article. Um, that she'll remind people, Vel will, who she is, or at least she's going to try. Um, what have they done, Mon Mothma asks. Vel says they've chosen a side. They're fighting against the dark. They're making something of their lives as they hug. And the driver, who has a name, grabs the bags as Vel looks back. The descriptive audio notes that one of the bags looks like a cooler, which Pete sent me on a maybe like a three-minute Google image journey looking at uh, 1970s, 1980s coolers. Uh, <laughs> doubtless, doubtless when the behind-the-scenes is made, somebody, whether it is your Anthony Joseph Gilroy or someone else, is going to be like, I had such fond memories. You know, Back in 1982... Let's see which uh, Tony Gilroy would have been about 18 at the time. The family trips we would take. We had a cooler just like that. So I told our props department, get me a cooler that looks like a, a, a 1981, you know, uh, Coleman travel cooler, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what with the the arms that or the, the handle that can snap into the side of it and so forth. And it's just you, you live you live the aesthetic uh, that that is Star Wars. We go back to Bix in her cell. She's worn out and reflecting. And then Pete, we get to one of the most, I would argue, powerful scenes, uh, certainly of the show, maybe of all of Star Wars in terms oh. of it speaking specifically about real, current, modern things. Specifically, we're outside the ISB, which, by the way this exterior shot uh or rather the daytime version of it had been established earlier in the episode so we kind of know where we're at immediately and here's creepy karn loitering around as uh many isb folks are walking into work and he has found dedra in just a scene that continues to unfold in its kind of quiet sleazy way she knows who he is what is he doing there though he wanted to thank her for the promotion, but she had nothing to do with it. His boss seems to think that she did. 
but uh, Miro says they simply gave him a clean bill of health. It's a great turn of phrase for what happened there. Uh, he hasn't been waiting there, has he? And the most telling thing is that Karn immediately answers yes and follows up that he'd never lie to her. Um, that he needed to find her, that it's not that easy to thank her for what she did, what she's doing, and to try to follow up on the conversation they had last month. Um, so we know now two months have passed. Um, it wasn't a conversation, though, Mira has to correct him. He was brought in for questioning. The acting out of Denise Goff here, Matt, I mean, we've talked about Andy Serkis being a potential Emmy nominee. Let's firmly put Miss Gaff here in, in that category, okay? That she does with her eyes and her face alone in this scene. First, the, you know, we've seen this out of other actors where they can make their pupils kind of bounce back and forth as they're searching someone's face. But then we watch her face go from apprehension uh, to, at one point, pity, and then ultimately disgust. It's, I mean, it's a phenomenal moment here. And again, yeah, I don't know what was on the page for the script. I don't know what was done in rehearsals, done at table reads and so forth. But I think there's a lesser argument to say, Denise, you are distracting from the you're distracting the camera from the guy who's delivering the speech here. And the way scripts work is the person who's talking is the important one. So stop looking back and forth on his face and all this. Obviously, there's a little bit of untruth to what I'm saying, because uh, when she's getting her close up over his shoulder, it's her moment and so forth. But my point is, there's this concerted effort here for her to be having this whole thought process as she's analyzing him, trying to understand him. I would also add to all the emotions that you captured, Pete she as an actress is walking this fine line where we can see Miro is not giving up any dominance in the situation while still nonetheless noting his threat. Um, all of this, you know, through the lens of gender politics, gender politics, gender dynamics and so forth. And I think through that lens as well, it's all the more impressive that she's able to, um, she, Denise Goff is able to retain Miro's, power while while still realizing that this is a situation uh and i think you know the most reasonable viewer can say this is not the last time these two will speak and that i'm sure we're gonna be talking quite a bit about creepy karn and so forth uh and pete i was heartened to see uh at least the briefest of twitter conversations that you had uh, a twitter thread that you had sent uh to me that uh many other people being like no karn you're being intrusive and troublesome and um doubtless if one search on the internet you could find you know karen's just a good guy who just needs to show her how much he loves her um but that's not what the scene wants what the scene wants is us to be at least in the moment sympathetic to dedra here this character of karen drawn from real life i'd say less so miro who earlier in the episode is at her most mustache twirling worst and here leaves this scene abruptly carrying into 
the way that she's shaken coming off good news in the following scene. But uh, she asks Karn here if he's stalking her. Uh, he admits that he knows she works there and goes to see her. Um, but as an ISB supervisor, how much trouble he'd be in right now, um, he counters with the thought that, you know, he believed his, his life was ruined, done. And after meeting her and discovering she understood who Cassie and Andor is, just being in her presence, he's, he's realized life is worth living. Um, that if nothing else, there was justice, beauty in the galaxy. If he just kept going. And even he notes, Matt, his deranged belief that he was fated for something better. Uh, you know, just a tremendously well done scene all around. Um, and she tries to walk by and he grabs her. He refers to this a, a dream worth uh, living. Uh, but she notes that she could have him arrested. Is he aware of that? Um, but he wants what she wants. He senses it. He knows it. And she recoils, even telling him he's out of his mind. She's already given him a second chance. If she goes, he goes near her again, pursues any of this, she swears she'll have him in a cage on the outer rim. I'm so glad that all of that was captured on screen, particularly as we move to her being not late, late to ISB HQ, but her assistant says, oh, there you are. Uh, we Quick update here. There's a situation. There's a rebel pilot who's been captured. Ooh, says Dedra. There's a lot to do. Let's send the doctor there. I'll do a hollow conversation. And uh, much of that is going to be off screen. I'm not really being critical, Pete, because I think the pace of this episode is superb. And I don't know that we need her doing another scene where she's like, tell me this, tell me that. Okay, go torture him. But I just wanted to put out the irony here that there's a whole important bend to the story which happens entirely off screen this is she's taking her gloves off and her hat and she's shaken and she sighs we move back to the palatial uh home here of mon mothma and company she's off to the side talking with tay about that four hundred thousand credit problem you know what they say pete more mo credits mo problems um, the clock is, of course, ticking until at what point this 400,000 credit situation is going to actually be looked into. Uh, a solution would be a certain kind of loan from a certain kind of guy. The worst of the worst, you can tell by the name Davo Skulldun, looks like, you know, looks like scoundrel, looks like cauldron, looks like scum. <laughs> you know, he's not good. He's, he's but a wealthy thug. Uh, if we go to him, what will he think? Great line here, Pete. I'm not necessarily like, yeah, go with the people to hide your money and fight the taxes. I'm not necessarily in that boat, but I am pro Mon Mothma. And, and what's uh, Davo Skullong going to say if she shows up? You're just trying to hang on to your money, same as anybody else. And Pete, it's the only way out. Yeah, that the explanation could be to him that she just wants what's hers. But 
as Mon Mothma always thinks, at what cost? Takehoma is not sure, but Davo Skulden wants to meet Mon Mothma in her home in Coruscant, it seems. Uh, surely he must be joking. His name is Tay. Don't call him Shirley. Uh, Tay pushed back, but he could keep looking. What I've really appreciated of of the many things I've appreciated about Andor, you know, they they have Jabba the Hutted us a couple times in that the specter of a name can be bigger than the actor and the character that plays it. They've done this with Anton or Anto Krieger. They've done this with Maya Pei. They've now done this with Davo Skolden. Whether we ever meet these people or not, the the shadows of their names loom larger uh, just honoring them. I do think as well, and I don't I don't mean to fall into the line of internet commenters who are like, this is the best Star Wars thing ever, which I said for Kenobi, which was the best thing ever, which I said for Book of Boba. Like, I know there's there's some 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 recency bias, if you will. But um, this is a show that exists as a subset of the movie, which was a subset of the thing that came out in 1977. My point being, this of all productions is very aware that it does not need to be all connected, that you don't need you know, the actors from the 1999 movie now reunited. Like, you don't need that. You can just go, Davo Skuldun, and this one and that one. And if this show is going to make hay with it, great. If not, you know, next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, somebody is going to go is going to do the Davos Skuldun comic book, you know, uh, book, hollow novel, like whatever it is, it, they're, they're, they're not necessarily saying this is a branching off point from which we can do marketing and do a Parks character. Like they're just creating a person and then they're walking away and saying, if somebody else picks this up, they're going to continue the tradition that we are in, which is picking up story bits that, that other people have left. Speaking of story bits, we go to the what is this a conference room at the ISB Matt we need to kind of name this location for a fast and furious detail update about this pilot uh, we learned from Major Partagas he was snagged in a routine customs check totally random another officer says Miro explains he was the only one on board um were there witnesses no sir that's the beauty part of it he flashed an imperial profile his ship did for a moment and it vanished the empire thought it was odd and pursued another officer asks is there any chance he radioed home before they got him they've already done the dr gorst interview Thing and he swears he didn't, so it's reliable. Confidence is high. Repeat, confidence is high. Uh, they got him talking almost immediately. And Hirt steps in here again that the masking device uh, used was one of the Imperial items stolen from the naval yard at Lozash last year. 
a couple more officers step in the staging of this scene really effective so that part of guys can update them the pilot is one of anto krieger's group okay uh they don't think he's gone missing yet all right and he's telling them about a raid planned on the power station at Spellhouse, something talked about by Luthen and uh, Saw Guerrera last episode. So now they are aware of that. And we'll talk about what that means in theories. Um, that uh, the pilot was heading to Kafreen, which is a uh, location we've seen in Rogue One, the Ring of Kafreen, the first place we see Cassie and Andor. The emotional takeaway from this scene uh, is, among other things, the the fast, the increasingly fast motion that the ISB is doing regarding all of this, uh, regarding these events that we've seen. And then, of course, uh, Dedra has gotten another uh, gold star next to her name, but she's the one that pitches fouling the ship, coming up with something that killed the pilot, on how that's impressive to Partagas. Also, Pete, just to go back to your comment at the top of this scene, I'd like to name this room the Partagas Party Room, okay? <laughs> Monday through Friday, and sometimes uh, dinner time through midnight, tell all your families you're not going home, uh, they use it for ISB meetings. Usually, though, Saturdays and Sundays, little known fact here, uh, it's the pizza room from the birthday parties that one floor down. They're using the ball pit. They come up here, have some pizza before they all clear on out. So it is said, so it is decreed. Uh, back to the prison workroom. Olaf is still slow, groaning, wincing in pain. We see him collapsing uh, at his table as the uh, the other last place table is uh, told they have indeed made last place, move into the shock position. I think, Pete, we can be mildly horrified but not shocked that the punishment is delivered in the center of the room with all people, you know, maybe not explicitly told to watch them, but in full view of everybody and so forth. Um, as the group, the, the, the whole workroom is making its way into the sky bridge, uh, Olaf collapsing again, needs a doctor. Can we get him to the cells? No, no, no. He must be here. Um, which is a really handy way to have a private conversation because the med tech is called for uh, and total people in the sky bridge. That's going to be your Kino, your Andor, your Olaf, your med tech, and then guard from afar. Uh, not doing a great job to uh, stop the critical conversation as the med right. tech dispenses wisdom and medicine. The apathy kind of felt, uh, you know, nobody's listening, right, Matt? Um, and the doctor opens up his case. I thought it interesting that they brought him down the lift through the factory floor and then to the, uh, the bridge to the cells. Um, but he's got a little difference in his, uh, prison garb in that instead of the orange that the other inmates have, he has the blue to identify him. He's got his case opens that up. Okay, takes a mask, puts it on Olaf, uh, who he's told only has 40 shifts left. Um, also, that he's seen this patient before uh, is, is interesting. Um, 
scanning him, figuring out what's going on with him. Kino continues to say he just wants to get him up and about. Okay, those 40 shifts remaining. Um, and uh, Keith reminding the doctor of his name. The doctor doesn't want to know his name. Um, but getting him back on his feet, not an option. There is nothing to save. He's had a massive stroke. That air mask is taken off with a hiss. And the uh, gun of whatever they're going to inject into him is loaded up. They can't help him. The doctor can't help anyone. He needs a bag and a trolley from the guard who tells him it's coming. Um, and the, this patient was lucky. He gets to pass peacefully, which is more than what he can say for the rest of them. And just written on Andy Circus's face is the resignation now. You know, it, it's not a quick change. It happens over the course of this episode. He's worn down uh, so that you can see the logical endpoint to this one. They ask him, he asks the doctor what happened to the men on level two, and he's told he'll want to keep his men in line. They hold Olaf so that they can inject him here. He won't feel anything, and he chokes and exhales as he passes away. And Kino asks, what does he mean by keep his men in line? What happened on two? Uh, the guard there kind of leaves the bridge, and he can lean in and tell them that they made a mistake. A man who had just been released on level four ended up back on two the next day. Word got out on the floor, and they killed them all. Yes, this notion here that's to cover it up. And again, we've we've had the the you know very tender story footprints here. Each floor is fifty people, along with the uh, the the floor bosses and so forth. Uh, we see them all lined up in the sky bridges, you know, going each way in and out of shifts and so forth. The notion here that uh, with no one getting out to make the mistake go away, fry everybody while they're on the bridge there. Uh, and again, this promise here from the doctor character, Pete, played by Adrian Rollins, who I know you recognize as both James Potter uh, as well as Nikolai Fomin from Chernobyl. Oh, um, yes. I I knew I knew you'd recognize him either from that or uh, playing uh, David Stone in British show The Bill in the episode <laughs> Hard Enough. Um, but yeah, this notion that that there is no way out except the way you might make out uh, yourself. Um, and Kino clearly defeated here, but Andor asking him again how many guards are there, and he says never more than twelve guards per level. Smash cut to black as we head to the credits. People are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? Uh, Pete, let's dig deep here. Let's deep dig into a, uh, a slightly dark theory here. We've talked about how Lita uh, is an X-factor risk to Mon Mothma. Uh, I have commented on the, the 1984, you know, the book Influence of Children uh, Selling Out Their Parents and so forth. New kind of X-factor here, or is it a Y-factor, with Vel around 
Can we potentially uh, foresee a scene where Lita is ready to sell out Mon and Tay's quote-unquote romance, but perhaps it is Vel and a smoking blaster that terribly closes that problem? I like what you told me in a text here, and then she turns to her cousin and say, we take what's left. Um. Look, we've seen how this the 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 Halcyon rules of Star Wars, you know, like most Espa slavery, like not not great, right? You know, like not great, but dot dot dot. You know, that's one corner of the Star Wars universe. This is also authentically Star Wars, but also you know, um, courtesans for hire and dead cops and things of that sort. I don't know the look. We're supposed to root for Vel. I don't know that we're supposed to like Vel. And if Vel does that dirty deed, I i mean, to me, it would not be like, Star Wars dare not do that. Like, part of this show is taking us from black and white, putting us in the gray of both ends. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see with that. Uh, similarly, Pete, this week we were shown how part of a jailbreak uh, will occur. I don't want to say may occur, will occur. Um, and with the beleaguered Kino maybe kind of now officially on board, uh, we also have the the push from the med tech here, among other things, keep your men in line this next week. So Pete, does it happen this next week? I mean, I think it was more after this week, bad things have, have obviously with the frying of an entire bridge, that was the power flicker, right? That was the thing that uh, caused everything uh to be set in motion of of this week the last event the the death of Olaf here things are ratcheting up and that it was seen and that it's gone around the levels from the other side of the building um and and moved up the levels um and not clearly communicated but all those men would have been seen on the bridge and then suddenly go down uh did the amount of power that it took to fry all of them cause that flicker is it the realization of there are more of us than there are of them do we sacrifice ourselves to overload the system so that others can get out possibly and I wonder, too, I've wondered this each week, you know, and I'll just ask this rhetorically. Obviously, we don't have Anthony Gilroy here to tell us, but given that the show is taking us into the gray, you know, to what degree is this a template for how to successfully start the good rebellion against the bad empire and how much of this is, you know, like, for example, Pete Saul Guerrero. Okay, everybody loves the actor, the character, this legacy character by way of animation and so forth. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to, we're not supposed to, like, ooh, which camp do I want to join? The Saul Guerrero camp or like the, you know, the the temple there with Princess Leia and whatnot. Like, I, he, he's meant to be a bit extreme, I think, for our tastes. Um, so, I, again, this this journey into the gray is an interesting one. And, and indeed, we've discussed your theory of redemption for Karn, like, you know, like an objective, he comes over to the good guy side. We've discussed my theory. I don't think that's the case anymore at all. Well, that's just it. Lost. Same with my theory of redemption for Dedra. Turns out fascists are going to stay fascists, Uh -uh. huh? 
and and what they've done to make us sympathize for her in terms of what happens in this episode you know when mom asks him uh you know why he's been out late the leaving of dinner out no no don't don't do that for me um you know it's implied once you finish the episode well it wasn't all at work he was staking out isb headquarters what would what will mom think to find out this behavior from her son I think the most direct answer is to be shocked, shocked, and you've been a naughty boy and all of that. However, mom does seem so. I, I don't know whether I don't know whether I can call it overly preoccupied. Mom seems very interested in is he going to make his way in the world? Okay, all parents want that for their children and so forth. But there's kind of some weird, you know, piggybacking here. Um, and maybe that's because he's kind of been a failure so far. Like, I, again, I'm mom exists in the gray as well um mom Edie exists in the gray could i see her i mean look at this way i think it's it'll be a better acted scene if she's like yeah that's right you keep pursuing her like if it if it gets more gross with mom with mom Edie, not to be confused with mom mom mothma <laughs> um it, I feel like if, if Edie is egging him on, I don't quite know what kind of social commentary there might be. But as I've said before, the Edie uh, serial scenes are so wonderful by themselves. Someone just collect them and do like, yeah. here's my high school <laughs> talent show, eight minute, you know, eight minute one scene table thing that puts these little ones all together. And it's, you know, it ends with, you know, whatever it might be, you know, and scene like it's so good there. Let let her continue to be badly good or goodly bad. Who is the unknown woman who recruited Salman Pack? You proposed that it's Vel. I'm going to propose that it is Clea. Um, I think Clea is another good choice. Cynthia had come to mind as well. Um, it will be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if that's a thread that they go down. Just kind of thinking off the top of my head, if I put on my Rebel Alliance hat here for a second, does Luthen send out Clea, and does Clea then send out people who actually like? I could see how I could see how Clea, oh, who's registered as assistant shop worker to Luthen, let's go raid Luthen's shop. Versus Clea talked to a lady who then went out and took a ride and took several other rides, and then. I'm imagining if for, for for my faux Rebel Alliance, a Vel or a Cinta who is two steps removed from Axis Luthen, I think that would make for a better operation. But if we have big dramatic scene where they're looking through the digital mug shots and someone says, Look, it's her, it's Clea, that works too. That to me, that's not that's not story baloney. Vel says to Mon Mothma that they took a vow. So this would seem to make her the third person other than Luthen and, of course, Mon Mothma herself that she was talking about with Take Homa as knowing about what Mon Mothma is doing. So I guess this means no Bail Organa yet, right? I can't argue with your math. 
I think it's only a matter of time between these 12 episodes this season and next season's 12 episodes. So somewhere in the 24-episode arc, you're going to have Jimmy Smith's. Um, if he's better used next season, so be it. I, again, I can't argue with how you have calculated that she said it was three, and now we're up to three, the end. Um, and frankly, if Jimmy Smith's does come through and she says, oh, yes, my the third person in the tripartite conspiracy, I think then we'll say, Oh, wait, this is not internally consistent with, you know, numbers and so forth, uh, which would be consistent with 1984 and two plus two equals five. But I digress. Um, I, I think your point is a good one. And if that then signals Jimmy's return uh, in 2023, not 2022, that works as well. So, of course, they've underestimated Marva at this point. They're not going to do the Dizonite children recording just yet um because she's too old and and frail she'd never survive it which leaves her in play to do something to the empire there on her the empire is when last we saw cinta she's watching as well so that's a point of convergence it is and you know, I'm reminded of what uh, C-3PO said as soon as the uh, escape pod was launched. You know, the damage doesn't look so bad out here with this larger view, um, or it doesn't look as bad, with this larger view that we have where it's not just like, oh man, they built Ferrix and used it for three episodes. Like, we are returning and returning to established spots here. In fact, if anything, it kind of feels like, you know, we're spiraling in closer and closer and tighter and tighter here. Um Side note, I think that's why uh, the the banker to the villains wants to meet at Mon Mothma's place. It's because it's a standing a standing set um, and, and even heated. Uh, but I digress. I, I, I think the idea here of returning to Ferrix and certainly that Marva, I mean, I would guarantee Marva doesn't make it to next season. Marva goes down in a big show of defiance. Whether the result is successful, i.e., she opens the tunnel or she's able to successfully turn off the power into the hotel or whatever it might be or if it's just an act of defiance that takes her life uh, i don't think she makes it out of this season what is in cyril karn's private box i'll go highbrow and say it's more of his delightful uh, action figures <laughs> made by kenner part of the part of the black series with extra articulation and extra you know for the adult collector um i do think to be a bit more serious i think that if we're going to open that box i'll continue to go kind of story highbrow how about like how about it's something that's so uh, inappropriate that we don't see it you know kind of insert whatever it might insert whatever you want in there we just see it opens and we see whoever dedra's looking in there mom's looking at whatever it is just this look of disgust over this you know this small box where we can imagine it's you know it, it, it's whatever kind of thing i think that 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 could be a better story moment than like actually you know hey let's spend time figuring out what prop to put in there yeah i i think if you could imply it's something cd tawdry rather than than show it and register the the disgust on on somebody's face whatever it is it's got to be connected with miro with what he's doing right like and that he keeps tabs to know whether it's been opened or not in her home under her roof 
you know, yes, privacy. Okay. But still the expectation, like it, it, he is creepy Karn for a reason. So if he was arrested, if Miro had him arrested, would he be sent to Narkina five? I think on the one hand, would that be awfully, you know, it's a small world. It would be, but I mean, a there's star Wars precedence for that. And B just the deliciousness of he could be sent there. He could be sent to Narkina five. He could be sent to level five, the whole nine yards. Able five. <laughs> there, Yeah. Like everything. And then he's going to say, I know that you're this, that, the other. And what are the other prisoners going to say? Yeah. Right. Another guy where you're one confession away from you get free and everybody else here is a baddie. It's another, it's another, you know, innocent person. The whole, you know, is referenced in, in Andor, the whole Shawshank Redemption thing of, you know, it's a prison filled with innocent people and all of that that would be delicious kind of torture for the character. And I think that we're okay. We're okay to see Karn tortured now, let alone in future episodes and when the box is found, etc. So he's going to not listen to Miro. That much is clear. He's going to continue to pursue this. He's going to continue to try to see her because he can't take no for an answer. Uh, can't listen to anyone least of all someone he's interested in because he thinks they have these common goals when she has one position in society and he has another um interestingly with her assistant here interrupting the the party guys room there the party room at one point to recap some of the questioning and then sending gorst uh, before he saw her, because she was obstructed by the Karn stalking, is Hirt flying too close to the sun? I think there is the possibility, particularly given given what we saw, the little fleeting details that we saw in this episode. For example, Hirt is the one who kind of you know steps from the back row to offer answers. A different way to stage that would be, um, you know, would be that uh, that Dedra, you know, raises her arm, like reaching back for the file that he's going to put into her hand. And he can say, oh, yes, right here. Like he does it so unprompted. Um, it's kind of like one of those things. It, Pete, if it ends up being nothing, OK, then it's an, it's an interesting bit of characterization. And, you know, even even here to, in the background has character you know, motives and so forth. Um, and I won't be upset. I don't, I don't think he's, he's not flying too high kind of for story purposes, but one does really sense that he wants to be, he doesn't want to be Miro's number two for the rest of his career. This power station raid at Spellhouse seems to be setting up our final two episode arc. It's gotta be that, right? I, I would very much agree that that's the case um the timing is right you know we have uh what these three episodes left the notion of a big you know big bang smash you know another another um heist another attack you know we haven't had a space battle maybe there's an element there maybe it's just boots on the ground um from like a season pitch to sit and say the first half of the season has a big attack thing and the second half does as well like i think it just kind of tracks with the general shape of it 
I will maybe leave the slight trap door that the show has the show has defied expectations and gone in new directions uh, in these nine episodes. Would I rule out the possibility that it could just be a talky conclusion? You know, spoiler alert. I'm thinking the season finale, season one finale of Loki that ends up being a lot of talking and not a ton of action, things of that sort. So it's possible that we don't have a big Star Wars showdown in our Star Wars show, but I, I think it's likely that we will. Was anyone ever released from Narcina 5? Well, the doctor does say something like, no one's getting out now. So I guess it depends, Pete, on your definition of ever. Um, I would imagine at some point that's how it worked. Now, is it a P-O-R-D uh, era thing? So it's very few people who have experienced this. Um I think there's ever so slightly a little bit of a logical fallacy here that like, fine, people don't get out, but they just get recycled to another floor. So what prevents the guy who just got went from four to two from going, it's unfair, it's unfair, and I don't care if you fry me. Uh, now, I understand the mistake was made, so I don't know what the solution is. Like, was the solution he was supposed to get on another transport and he was supposed to go to narkina 4 where they're making tires and somehow things got messed up there i mean you can answer it enough but um to answer your question i will say more recently that this is a more recent thing that uh that there is no way out of course the genius of the interrogation technique with the sound is the description and we never hear it so it takes on this larger than life aspect so matt what does the choral agonized pleading of dying dizonite children sound like pete i think that the most painful sound in the star wars universe sounds like this so that's my answer pete how about you Mine sounds like this. Uh, I think you could be onto something there. <laughs> I mean, I, I think people are going to take that clip. I could see people splicing in like, you know, the I love you song by Barney. I think people are going to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, maybe even, uh, the Rick roll um, to play with that for years to see what the horrible thing she's listening to that causes her to scream is. That's a really, that's a really great observation. I think you're, I think you're onto something there. To Twitter, we go to hear some feedback about this episode, Pete. The question here was, who's not going to make it to season two? 21.2% uh, of people said, bye-bye Bix. 15.2% of people said, creepy Karn. 18.2% uh, said, deadly Dedra. And 45.5% said, the person not making it to season two will be unlucky Luthen. 
some comments here on Twitter. Uh, James is sagacious, big killing on Twitter. These characters are all so interesting. The torture device is almost cartoonish in its evil, but it also indicts humanity and its greed and lack of stewardship of our planet. It always feels like Vader and Inquisitors are behind every door that opens, but it's just rotten people. Uh, next up, Jackie Wolf. That's Jackie Wolf on Twitter. My husband and I both cheered when Kino finally answered Cassian. <laughs> I'm getting a little born of Karn, uh, bored of Karn and his brooding. Uh, good news for any of these season concerns, Pete. There's just three episodes left. So Karn, I mean, could Karn make it to the second season? Absolutely. But there's some sort of denouement coming for everybody in the next three episodes. Uh, next up, Arya needs a spinoff. That's uh, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. I picked Luthen just because I feel like Skarsgård has other things to do. Nice set for the prison break episode. Nice setup for the prison break episode. Looking forward to seeing how it all wraps up. Then waiting two years for another season. Good news, Pete. The next season does come next year, right? That is the plan? No, they're shooting this month. I've seen at least one comment from your Tony Gilroy that says don't expect it until 2025. Uh, oh no. The, the Neomos scene um, in the, uh, the beach there in the UK, we know that that was shot 18 months ago. Um, so oh, no. I would use that number. That'd take us to 2024. And I see here the second season block goes from November 2022, November this year, until August of next year. I would agree, even if they are filming in order, it's tough to say a show still in production in August is going to have a 12-week or less run starting in November. Oh, man. Oh, man, Pete. KCLYLE1 on Twitter, Arya Needs a Spinoff, has delivered a, <laughs> a hearty bout of truth here, so I appreciate the truthiness even though the truth hurts here. Oof. All right. Andre Yeager, at Dr. Polo1983. I've not looked at the tweet yet, but I'm hoping for an uplift here to take me out of my, out of my sadness here. Uh, Andre says, I'm at a loss for words to describe the excellence of this show. The writing, acting, and story continue to get better each week. I'm invested in each storyline and care about these characters. I just wish the episodes were longer. Next, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. This newest ep was not my favorite, but it was good and solid and engaging nonetheless. I think that when the season is over, we will look back on Nobody's Listening and consider it a glue episode, meaning it effectively, effectively binds them all together, three before, uh, eight before and three after. Next, uh, at Steve the Burge on Twitter says, uh, Cyril is just an imperial boy standing in front of an imperial girl asking her to love him. <laughs> Uh, Andor is not a TV show. It's cinematic. Sadly, only three more, but it's going to be a great ride. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of that, the, the, the second half of the sentiment there. I was thinking of this is such a different show now than it was in the first three episodes or the middle three and so forth. Um, it would be interesting to watch this anew. Like this week we watched three and then, you know, a month later or you know, whatever it might be to kind of, you know, what's the, what's the optimal way to get these story arcs? Um, he's right. This is a long form cinematic journey here. And, you know, we had the listener who commented about the runtimes just wish they were longer. They're still each longer than any of the Star Wars shows we've gotten to this point. I mean, they are super meaty. There's there's been this discussion. Oh, you know, the the viewers have bled off from this show and nobody likes contemplative 
Star Wars? Well, uh, I don't think so, given the, the critical reaction that you're hearing. People are, are watching this, and those ratings are also a month off. I think you're going to find, you know, through the end of that Aldani heist arc and now the prison part of the season that, you know, super solid viewership. Back to Twitter, we hear from David Siller, that's at Siller David Poet. To say that Andor has been a delight wouldn't be accurate. It's so strange to have so much fun with a show as dark and brooding and filled with dread. I often sit and stare at the screen at the end, just enthralled. Still haven't rewatched any episodes yet since they just sit in my brain. The visuals of the, uh, this show, shots, sets, lighting, everything are just stunning. At times I get distracted from the dialogue just looking. Bring on the rest of the season and the next. I'm not leaving this couch until they do. <laughs> well, you're going to have a little bit of a wait. Um, but again, I, I fall back on the cliche of no wine before it's time. And to think how long they shot and how excellent these episodes have been. They can take as long as they want, as long as I know they're getting more. Penultimately, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille says that was a hard poll. Again, this idea of who's not making it season two. I think uh, Tryhard Troy is going to get himself killed, maybe after smothering his mother. <laughs> I do think I will. Let me pause Noel's wise words here for a second. I do think there's going to be um, quite a showdown between uh, Karn and his mother. Uh, Pete, I don't want to take it too dark, especially after I'm the one that just proposed. Maybe not just, but I'm the one that proposed the, you know, uh, Mon Mothma's daughter gets gets uh, life snuffed out from her. I wouldn't be surprised to see Karn snap and, you know, uh, similarly snuff his mother's candle, if you will. Uh, but back to Noel here. The show just keeps getting better. Everyone is wearing a mask, and I'm curious who will crack first. Just thought about this. Mon Mothma's husband could go, too. Uh, there's a reply here from Jackie McGriff on Twitter. That, that last part especially, uh, I think we can all agree, Perrin, Perrin needs to take a stumble off the, uh, off the balcony there and fall 100 stories down. Yeah, with him, it's not going to be a twist of the knife. With Lita, it really would. And as you propose, and it's a, it's a great suggestion that Vel be the one to do it. You know, beloved auntie, um, you know, having to make that sacrifice there, uh, that could be really, really compelling and heartbreaking. You know, we're, we're going to cheer when Perrin buys it. Uh, like we cheered at the end of this episode, no more than never more than 12. Um, but, you know, Lita, uh, a young woman, um, mostly an innocent it, it's going to be, if, if she's torn away from her mother, that's going to be tough. Well, if Mr. Anthony Joseph Gilroy, Oscar nominee, two-time Oscar nominee would like any other suggestions, <laughs> he can know how, he, you know, our, our contact info is at the end of every podcast. So, uh, and, indeed, Pete, wow, I didn't mean this as a segue, but perfect segue to our Gmail, fantasticgeekgmail.com. Tony, looking forward to the email there. Uh, we hear from Steve Adams. Uh, this was easily the best episode yet. This was a very compelling piece of television. Watching Andor play the game, figure out how to work around the rules is interesting enough. Watching Miro throw herself into her work is disturbingly enjoyable. Even seeing Karn lose more and more of his grip on reality as he gives in to his obsession was great stuff. But Mon Mothma's story seemed to overshadow all of it. She's starting to realize what choosing a side is truly going to cost her. 
she cannot foment a rebellion and keep her hands clean much longer. Now she must decide how far she's really willing to go. It will be fascinating to see what her moment of truth is and the price she's going to have to pay. For an episode with no action scenes, I was completely hooked on this story this week. So until next time, stay fantastic. That from Steve. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I wake up as soon as I can on Wednesdays and gobble these episodes. And they they just really resonate and move quickly at the same time. You know, I, I guess that's why people think they they are so short when in reality, you know, the last three have been 50 plus minutes. Pete, what do you have there over on Facebook? Uh, Matt, Fred from the Netherlands has written in here a, a comment on uh, the episode from a couple weeks ago, uh, episode six, The Eye. Two series I watch, uh, five days apart. Hmm. Uh, winky emoji here. It's all connected. And uh, so we had The Eye, episode uh, six of the first season of Andor. Uh, apparently, Matt, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Powers seventh episode is also titled The Eye. Uh, interesting when such unplanned things happen, when such mysteries of, uh, of storytelling happen and so forth. Uh, Pete, I'd like to think it's just coincidence, but maybe for our reality, hashtag it's all connected. We just don't quite know how. And Pete, keeping us connected to our listeners or those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek our thanks as always to each and every single person who keeps us listeners supported everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content all sorts of levels to choose from get yourself over there to patreon.com slash fantastic geek today takes just a dollar to get behind that door can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a rating or a review that helps us just as much pete let's keep the star wars conversation going how can people be in touch with you on twitter they can find me on twitter (laughs) increasingly fewer people have or are leaving it uh, at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,679 followers, can't be wrong. Yeah, help me build that back up. Pete, I know behind the scenes we've talked about, we've talked about another way people could be in touch. Maybe we'll just leave that as a little teaser for now and we'll discuss more and we'll we'll bring that to the next Star Wars uh, discussion. Uh, sticking with the beleaguered bird application, uh, while I'm personally on Twitter, I was looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are fantastic geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. On our pop culture podcast feed, we are back tomorrow for the perhaps final Star Trek Sunday Certainly, it's the final scripted Star Trek Sunday uh, of the calendar year as we wrap up Lower Decks Season 3. And, of course, back next Saturday to talk Andor. Uh, Also, Pete, can you believe it? Next weekend is also when Black Panther comes out. So looking forward to talking about that, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, uh, towards the end of next weekend. For now, though, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Hold your program.